Up. It is uh, Wednesday, the 29th of November, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Hope you're doing well. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this lovely podcast here on MMAfighting.com's YouTube channel. Uh, if you are just joining us for the first time or whatever, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to tell you how it goes. About, about 90 minutes we go covering mostly topics in MMA. We occasionally get to some other stuff. So for about an hour and 15 minutes, I go off questions in the comment section where this window is embedded. In the last 15, I will get some from Twitter. You can follow me at L Thomas News or that's something in my ear. Or, uh, ooh, that didn't help. Um, or um, you can use the hashtag chat rappers. All that is explained in, on MMAfighting.com. A lot to get to today. There's UFC 218 on Saturday. There's Bellator, I think, 188, 189, 189 on Friday. Uh, that's headlined by a women's featherweight title fight, Julia Budd versus Miss Blenko. Uh, and then you have, of course, the UFC is crowning a new champion on Friday night in a new weight class. And I don't feel like there's any discussion of it whatsoever. Not merely no discussion of the Ultimate Fighter, but in particular, no discussion about the fact that there's actually going to be another UFC champion um, in the mix. Doesn't seem to be a lot of discussion. So we'll get to that. And uh, Conor McGregor brawling in Irish pubs for reasons that remain totally unclear in terms of what, whether that's a prudent course of action. So, like I said, get your questions in on MMAfighting.com or on uh, Twitter as well. I will take those. Uh, by the way, unofficially, today's drink is going to be not a sponsor or anything. Today's is going to be by, this is uh, Ipanema Pomegranate. It has about as much caffeine as a cup of green tea. Let's see how it tastes. It's okay. It's not bad. Gets the job done. Um, all right. Housekeeping notes. One item. One item. Um, if you want to buy a promotional malpractice live chat t-shirt, they are on sale for five more days, and that is it. Uh, I put them on sale for seven days. So you have a total of seven days now, just five days left to buy one. How can you do it? You can go to teespring, T-E-E-Spring.com slash LT shirts. There's also a link in the description box below. There's a link in the comment section on MMA fighting and it's pinned to the top of my Twitter profile. So you can't miss it. Go to the description box below and you can get it. We have the normal ones that we had from last time. Only the logo is blown up a little bit. Uh, the quality of the t-shirt should be a little bit higher. You can get one in red. You can get a women's shirt. You can get a women's shirt in red. Uh, you can even get a hoodie. This will only be on sale for five more days, and that is it. Uh, I'm not going to bring them back anytime soon after that. I might make other shirts, but in particular, that one with that logo, the time is now. Um, and as a matter of disclosure, I'll just tell you up front, the last set of t-shirts, and we sold a, you know a couple hundred of those, those went to charity. Uh, this will only be on sale, as I mentioned, for five more days. I'm not donating that money to charity. I'm going to give me 100% upfront with you. All of the money that goes to that uh, is going to go to upgrade everything you see around you. It is a business investment, no more, no less. Um, a lot of people have been suggesting that I get on Patreon and do things like that. I'm not ruling that out, but I don't really want to do that right now. I, I, I just, it's just, I'm not, I'm not really comfortable with that kind of arrangement. So, if you want to buy a T-shirt, any of the money, any of the proceeds that I get from that will be used. I've already started. Uh, I bought a brand new modem and router. Um, over the weekend that was not cheap 
and I believe that will improve this connection. It, I tested the speeds and it should be better. So uh, that's just the beginning. There's actually a lot, obviously you can imagine, significantly more than that that needs improvement around here. Um, but if you would like to contribute in that direction, you can buy stickers, you can buy shirts, you can get it in before Christmas if you buy. That's what that is for. All right. It is a business investment. It is no more. It is no less. Uh, and I appreciate everyone who has already contributed. So there we go. All right. On to the questions. Let's do that now. Please. Where are we here? All right. First question. Docker. The Connor issues. It seems that his outside the cage issues are piling up. The Bellator melee the alleged bar brawl, this person writes, the Coke rumors. I don't think he's talking about the Coke brothers either. We haven't really heard his take on any of it. What do you make of it? Is it major cause for concern for his career? Have you heard from someone close to the SBG gym? I don't really talk to anybody from that gym. Is he training like he is serious about fighting in the near future? What do you think about Anna White's recent statements about Connor's future? He doesn't know if Connor will fight again. He was supposed to fight on December 30th. So, boy, this is a complicated one, to be honest. And let's be clear about this. Um, this is where it's actually really great to have... How do I explain this exactly? I mentioned this on my radio show yesterday. Let me let me see if I can... Imagine... Think of it like this. Uh, imagine if there was like a, like a ATT reporter or like an ATT Black Zillions reporter, and you could reasonably trust that they could give you reliable information. In fact, maybe great information, great analysis. And if you, there was something happening with that those two teams, you could call them up. Think about it now, right? If you have a question about, let's say, Eli Manning getting benched um, for Geno Smith, which is just LOL, uh, you can call up a number of reporters in the New York area who specialize in that team, who know the ins and outs, who know the front office, who know McAdoo. If something happens with Kirk Cousins and the Redskins, you can call up John Kahn. You can call up Grant Paulson. You can call up Aaron uh, Hawksworth. You can just call up a, a, a Craig Hoffman. You can call up a dozen people who do nothing but cover that team. That's all that they do. And so you can really get some interesting information. Now, you can't quite get the same with any one team in MMA, SBG included, but one of the interesting things I really like about regional MMA is that it often produces really strong regional beats. And the Irish MMA media here, at least for somebody like me, have proven to be totally invaluable. Even just moments ago, Sean Sheehan of Severe MMA was tweeting an article about a gentleman. I do not recall his name, but he is putatively the top crime reporter in all of Ireland. And he was suggesting that McGregor through this actions, whether it was inadvertent, he got tangled up with this, or it was intentional that he wanted to get tangled up with this. However, he ended up becoming involved with dangerous people um, that his safety was in question. Now, certainly that gentleman would know much better than I would. And so this kind of thing, it's just better to have a globalized world in that sense. And it's better to have the kinds of on the ground really know what they're talking about media who live there, who know the country, who know the media landscape, who have a, probably a better idea. I mean, I've got my, my email box was flooded on like Sunday night with all kinds of people being like, oh, here's a Snapchat like uh, screenshot and here's this person writing this on Facebook. And there was no video of McGregor doing anything. So at first I was a little skeptical, but it appears to be at this point, um, you know, it's still alleged, but the evidence seems to be a little bit more than circumstantial at this point. Um, so 
my first recommendation to you would be this question is probably going to be better answered by somebody over there. Pete C. Carroll on MMA Fighting Staff, Sean Sheehan. There's a lot of dudes, uh, I'm sure ladies as well, in that area, um, in that part of the world, who are going to give you better information than I can. But from this side of the pond, for what it is worth in assessing this, I don't see how you don't have extraordinary alarm about it. I just don't. I don't understand how you can look at this and not be um, – I don't think you can be certain that – everything has gone off the rails, but if you aren't at least considering that possibility, you're just, um, you're doing that intentionally, not, not because you have good reason to this, this is terrible. Um, this is terrible. Even if there is no, well, first of all, if there's a threat to his safety that that is just, you know, beyond serious because that would mean there's probably a threat to, um, his loved ones as well. And I certainly do not hope that that is the case. Believe me, that would not be good for anyone. This is not the kind of situations we need or want or desire or look out for. Trust me. Uh, that would be very, very bad. So uh, my hope is that this just dissolves and goes away and then everyone kind of realizes we've got better things to do. Um, what do you want to say about it? It seems to me a couple of things. You know, Dana White saying that uh, Connor may or may not fight again. You know, he got a hundred million. What's he really going to do? I think is an important thing to keep in the back of your mind. I know a lot of people want to discredit anything that comes out of Dana White's mouth these days. I'm not really as keen on that as I used to be. Certainly you have to take everything with a grain of salt, including that that might be some kind of negotiating tactic, right? To get Connor to come back. Um, if you're asking me to flip a coin, do I, or, you know, to pick a side anyway, do I think he comes back and fights? I certainly believe that he will. Um, but look, man, I, I'm not going to speak about alleged drug use because I simply don't have really anything to go on other than nothing but rumor. But the bail the Bellator melee we were witness to, uh, and this bar brawl has enough legs where it's worthy of at least some examination. You know, my sense about this is is that um, <laughs> I'm not sure how to say this exactly. He, he seems, he seems to, for a guy who is so smart about the details in getting his career right, now some of that came naturally to him, but for a guy that, you know, is bright, not formally educated, but certainly bright, um, has incredible business savvy has an understanding of the way the world works. Like what levers do you have to pull at what times in order to advance your career? He has such a gift for that, you know, um, for a guy like that to be jeopardizing a future like that, which is what this behavior would ultimately imply, uh, seems very much out of character. And it seems like even he has to know that doing that kind of thing is not the sort of thing that advances your career. It may just be a calculated risk on his part, career, forget your career, your personal life. Your, I mean, you literally, if it's your personal safety, all those things, you know, it doesn't advance any of those interests. He might just think, you know, I can get away with it. I'm big enough and powerful enough and rich enough that these kinds of things really aren't issues I need to ultimately worry about. And look, it is true that we live in a world where uh, I don't think I'm saying anything particularly controversial by saying that the rich and the famous uh, 
not merely, uh, look, they have an easier life by and large. They're able to get away with things that we aren't able to get away with. But even for them, there are limits. Even for them, there are boundaries. And even for them, there are parameters. Um, and, it, you know, you would like to see this guy exercise some discretion and some risk management about all the things he's achieved and all the things he's risking by engaging in behavior like this. The Bellator Melee one by itself is just, um, you know, it's just unfortunate. I don't know that I could look to some long-term consequences by that itself, but in conjunction with the, with the, uh, bar brawl, the alleged bar brawl anyway, um, number one, now you've got a pattern and number two, you've got an, a pattern of escalation. You know, that's not that's not trending in the right direction. Um, and it just feels so incredibly bizarre that you've got this guy who has managed to avoid pitfalls and has, you know, just blazed through the ranks to the top of his profession and, and yet would be so careless and would be so utterly um, glib about how his you know, about what kind of reckless public behavior he's willing to do and how that could impact his life. Um, so to me, I don't know that I can reasonably call this any kind of a turning point. In fact, it could be a good, well, it could be a good turning point if he realizes uh, maybe we've gone too far. He certainly is bright enough to know um, the difference between right and wrong. And he's certainly bright enough to know the difference between what is good for me, what is bad for me, right? Um, but... It also appears that he, whatever his sense is about what what the real constraints on him are, those appear to be not nearly as strong as I thought they might be. At least not right now. Um, so if, if if it's me, I'm raising some alarm bells, um, but not enough to say this is you know some irreparable point of no return or whatever. The question is how he handles this. Does this build onto something even worse? You know, does this turn into something even even more insane, uh, or does this serve as the high water mark of, you know, let's call it politely confused behavior, and that he makes some kind of reasonable turnaround to a more um, you know, manageable middle ground? It's 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 a bizarre situation because you don't really know what his mindset is. You're right; he hasn't spoken, and you don't really know why he did some of the things that he did. But you know, still in in the in the, the 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 disconcerting part about the apology after the Bellator melee was that he realized you know it doesn't look good for someone of my stature to be engaged in these kinds of unfortunate incidents, which is some sort of like euphemistic way to look at it from a macro perspective, and then from the micro examination, the fact that he continued to harangue in a sense, Mark Goddard told you he didn't fundamentally understand what the problem was. You know, that's that is a recipe for continued malfunction. That's what that is. If you are apologizing because you realize it's a bad look, okay, that's something. But that ultimately that referee still was the one who was the problem here. No, no, that is not true. Uh the problem was um strictly manufactured by him. So I should say solely manufactured by him. And I think that's the only acceptable response there, and that he kind of hedged. Not a not a great not a great look, uh, and and the kind of one that can tell you that 
he might be prone to additional error. We'll see what he has to say about this if he, in fact, ever speaks about it. You know. But once you begin to feel like you're above reproach, that's when error begins to set in at any walk of life. Mine, yours, his. Once you begin to think, I, th I don't really believe I'm, I'm subject to penalty here in any kind of way that I care about, um, that's probably going to set you up for additional levels of failure. So we'll see. Uh, the popularity myth of women's MMA. Hey, Luke, in the wake of this introduction of another women's division of the UFC, along with MMA fans and media, are again happy to pat themselves on the back for how popular women's MMA is, how they're basically on equal footing with the men and that went... Jesus, what? I'm going to read it how they wrote it. How they are basically on equal footing with the men and that when women headline a card, no one bats an eyelid. Are they supposed to? This seems blatantly untrue. Post-Rousey women's MMA has been barren, spelled barren wrong, in terms of public interest and even hardcore fan interest. All signs are pointing to Ronda being an anomaly who people partially saw as a novelty as opposed to a pioneer who brought women's MMA to the forefront permanently. I like to watch Joanna Shevchenko and others fight, but to claim I enjoy women's MMA like men's MMA in general is disingenuous. And I feel it's the same with most MMA fans. While I agree MMA is more advanced than other sports and the women are more skilled, don't you also get sick of the constant self-adulation that goes on in the MMA world regarding female athletes? Now, before I answer that, let me read a response because it's also green um, to, to him. Quote, this person writes in challenging him, what a misogynistic viewpoint you have. Women's MMA has evolved leaps and bounds from even Ronda's time. And although the depth of fighters is still quite shallow compared to the men's side, the skill level of the ladies at the elite level are, are, are on a par all day long. Well, that's definitely not true. They are definitely not on par with the men's game. Let me assure you about that. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily a giant gap between them, and the gap is closing every single day. And I do think eventually they'll probably be on par, but I don't think they're on par quite yet to, to start things off. Um, let me say something here up front about this question and about the nature of, the, of, of popularity of women's sports versus men's sports. Uh, a friend of mine asked a joke the other, not the other day, a, couple, a long time ago, a couple of years ago. And it's a bit of a crude joke, but I'm sorry I laughed. And the question was, what would you rather do? Sit uh, courtside for the, you know, either like the WNBA championship finals or find $5 in your pocket? <laughs> and my initial response was, I think I'd rather just find $5 in my pocket. Now, that sounds crude and it sounds dismissive of women, which is not what I'm trying to do. However, uh, my personal belief is that generally speaking, if you're a guy and certain women's sports don't interest you, that's completely okay. I don't find women's basketball to be even remotely interesting, and I won't pre pretend to. I'm not here to dissuade you. If you enjoy it, I'm not here to have a debate about it. I'm merely here to tell you, for me personally, the gap between the women's and men's game, both at the collegiate and the professional level, is so great that I just can't enjoy it. However, that is not true for other sports. Now, it's a different in terms of what they do physically, but every four years, 
I find myself watching much more of the women's gymnastics events than the men's gymnastics events. The men's gymnastics ones are kind of interesting. The women's ones just seem to have a much more acrobatic nature to them. I find them more interesting. Women's tennis, I do not feel like there is so much of a drop-off between the men's game that it no longer interests me. In fact, I like it very much. In fact, I think that those ladies are hampered by only having to, to compete for three sets versus five on the men's side. I actually don't like that. I think the, the, the games should go longer. Um, so it really varies sport to sport. Um, again, I don't watch women's professional soccer, but the U.S. ladies are very good, and when they compete at the World Cup or you know various international games or tournaments, I very much enjoy watching them. So um, it really and, and women's boxing, I don't you know Clarissa Shields is a beast, but uh, by and large, I don't find it particularly all that interesting. So I think you're perfectly allowed to say without coming across as somebody who just naturally dislikes women or um, you know views them in some kind of subjugated or inferior roles in life or that they should be in those roles you can just say it's it's just not the same level of performance for me i mean the, the reason why you watch like why do we watch sports right for athletic excellence and it comes in many 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 different forms and people are going to have many many different tastes but i do think you can carve out a space to say hey look some women's sports to me are just not very interesting because the level of athletic play is not particularly especially relative to the men's game it's just not relatively high and i i think that's a perfectly defensible statement now, if you don't enjoy women's MMA, and this person does say that they like, he, he writes, I like Joanna Shevchenko and others that claim, uh, but, but to claim that women's MMA is like men's MMA in general is disingenuous, and I feel the same with most MMA fans. Well, I don't know how most MMA fans feel. I mean, we'll guess we'll, we, can, we can figure that out over time, but I guess what I would say is, um, number one, as I mentioned before, I think the, the games are still, the, the the level of performance in men's MMA versus women's is still, I mean, look, there's, we're going to crown a third weight class in women's MMA, at least for the UFC at the elite level on Friday. That would give them three weight classes. On the men's side, you have just in UFC, 125, 135, 145, 155, 170, 185, 205 at heavyweight. You've got eight just on the men's side. It's a significantly deeper talent pool. And as I've mentioned before, Heavyweight MMA looks very, very much not like flyweight MMA. Even middleweight MMA doesn't look a whole lot like lightweight MMA. Um, it, they, there's different complexions and different realities that happen as a consequence of of weight class size and 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 and, and what what that entails in terms of what they can do and not do and what kind of overall look it gives you. We're still about to have just our third in men's MMA. They're not comparable, at least not to the same extent. Now. Uh, someone like Valentina Shevchenko is certainly comparable to her male counterparts. Someone like Amanda Nunes is certainly comparable to her male counterparts. There are obviously some gems out there that can do pretty incredible things. Ioanni and Jacek is comparable to her male counterparts. Absolutely. Uh, but generally speaking, I don't think that's true. And if that deters your interests, um, depending on your argument for it, I can understand. The popularity issue to me is a little bit separate. I do think MMA, women's MMA especially relative to women's boxing, absolutely lends itself to stars, uh, to, to star-making potential. I find the action significantly more palatable. Um, I really enjoy women's MMA. If you don't, okay, I really like it. Like women's tennis, uh, I do not find that there is, yes, there's a gap between them, but not so much that it it is it naturally uh, inhibits my desire to watch it. Um, and again, you could find the, 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 the ones at the top of the women's uh, divisions are comparable to their men's absolutely um 
Ronda Rousey obviously spawned a great degree degree of popularity for herself. And then when she fought someone like um, Holly Holm, and then you'll recall Holm then fought on, she fought a number of times, but she eventually fought Shevchenko on Fox. This did nearly 5 million viewers. It was a home run. So the question is, is this just Rousey's trickle-down effect, or is there something more to be said here? What I think can be said is, number one, it is partly, maybe even predominantly, a function of the Rousey trickle-down. But that Rousey could have been a star to begin with tells you that there is significant potential for others. Number two, um, that trickle-down still had a real effect. I think if Holly Holm hadn't lost as much as she had or had some kind of redeeming performance before the Betch-Cohea fight, um, she probably could have sustained that on her own. That tells you that even if it's a trickle-down, it can be uh, manufactured and held onto by others. I think three... Um, you know, Ronda Rousey was special in her own way, and, I, and 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 some of that was catching lightning in a bottle. But because I think the women's game is so much more palatable in women's MMA versus boxing, you're going to much more easily develop stars in the future. Now, you also have to recognize, as I've mentioned many times, I don't think there's a ton of evidence to suggest outside the hardcore community that Ioanni and Jacek is a commercial draw. Had she beaten Rose Namajunas and she had gone and done a big tour with a bunch of big shows, Maybe we'd be saying something different. I agree that bantamweight has completely fallen off in terms of uh, its, you know, it being the home to all the stars. And I also agree that um, there's really just no discussion at all about women's flyweight. This was a division that everyone really wanted, and it has some benefits in its creation, but doesn't. I don't know that it. Um, it's not some panacea to what's missing in terms of the popularity of the women's game potentially. So here's what I would say. All the things already, and then on top of that, there's just not enough evidence to conclude that it was Rousey and only Rousey who did what she did. Uh, we need to see other stars potentially emerge and see if they can emerge, what kind of numbers they can draw, what kind of interest there is. You've got a women's fight, Cyborg versus home um, at the end of the year. Let's see what that kind of thing does. So I think it's very, very, very premature and probably not true that the women can't be stars like the men can. Maybe not as much because there's just not as many of them. There's only three divisions, but that it's impossible or, you know, some kind of rare occurrence. No, I don't. I, I, I just don't find enough evidence to conclude that. So it says some girls are good, uh, but a solid portion are garbage. Furthermore, women get put on the pay-per-view with like a three and one pro record, while a guy like with a twenty and five debut in the prelims. That's a bit of an exaggerated example, but um, part of the issue is that there's just not a lot of promoters doing for women's MMA what they're doing for men's. Um, you know, Invicta, as I mentioned before, serves almost like a non-profit role where its sole job is to to unf the job that other promoters are doing to build divisions, to build contenders, to build champions, and then ship them up the up the food chain once they're ready. Um, we need more of that. Now, if the market doesn't call for it, that's fine. But I, I do think that there is, um, there's just some infrastructure building that has to happen at the more regional level. And once that is, once that takes place, I think, you know, some of, some of these issues that you draw, like it's hard for women to get fights. It's hard for women to get fights in their weight class. So naturally, you're going to see some uneven records like this. How many women do you know relative to the men have fought outside of their weight class for a long time? You see a lot of women fighting up weight classes. Uh, Michelle Waterson, chief among them, um, for a time anyway, just because she wanted to get, look at Shevchenko. 
Is she a natural 135 or she can fight at 135? It's not what she naturally is in MMA. That's not her best suited weight class. You see stuff like that all the time. And yes, some also cut to go down, you know, but. Mm -mm -mm. Someone says, I'm a woman who didn't really become a hardcore fan of the sport until women were accepted at the highest level. Feels like we belong now, whereas before we were just a prize awarded to the toughest guys. Remember when the camera would pan to Josh Koscheck in the stands and he would have two strippers on his arm or the Tito Ortiz, Jenna Jameson thing that got played up when the only women in the octagon were ring girls. It just felt like a spike TV thing, a niche men's interest entertainment product. So I actually think being fully inclusive to women has made the sport look m more like a sport and ultimately brought in a new set of casuals and hardcore fans like myself. I think there's enormous evidence to show that industries grow when women become more accepted in them, and that's been no different in MMA. I would agree with that very much. Um, let's move on from this topic. Ben Askren legacy, Askren versus GSP. Ben Askren just retired from MMA. How would you sum up his legacy? Is it possible to do without wondering what could have been if he'd competed in the UFC? He actually opened up for the possibility of fighting GSP. Do you think it can happen? I certainly do not. How do you think that fight would have played out? Would a UFC title fight put him up with the GOAT welterweights? And someone notes um, that Dana White during the press scrum was yesterday was just dismissive of Askren, which to me is just like... You know, the most unbelievable thing. What what an in, truly let's say something about this. Uh that Ben Askren never I mean, you could talk about the times so he was in Bellator when he was beating Koreshkov and Douglas Lima and really good guys like that, that that was part of his prime. But to me, it's like his real opportunity, like the fact that he never had an opportunity to face big time opponents in big time contests during the bulk of his prime is one of MMA's great shames. I really fundamentally believe that. That is such such a stain on our sport that that kind of thing was allowed to happen. Um, and there's a lot of people to blame for that. The UFC probably sh takes the overwhelming majority of it from my stand standpoint, but that is, we really need to have a moment to reflect on like how idiotic it is that this never happened. Um, in any kind of way that we really care about. I mean, how how is it possible that we never got a Ben Askren, Johnny Hendricks rematch when it mattered? How is it possible that we never got a chance to see him versus Rory McDonald? How is it possible? I mean, it's just against Wonderboy Tom. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. It's just insane. It's completely and totally insane and truly a shameful moment for the sport to, to, to put it mildly. That's number one. Number two, um, how would it go? I don't know. You know, I think a lot of people think GSP would wipe the floor with him, and maybe he would. There's part of me that feels like Ben Askren would surprise a lot of people and control GSP in ways that would, you know. A lot of people don't want to agree with Ben because they don't like that he has a lot to say, and that's understandable, but that you can dislike a guy or like a guy. That's got nothing to do with how good they actually are. So a part of me feels like I'd love to see the fight because I'd actually like to see what happens. I don't know if we'll get there. In fact, I'm pretty sure that we won't. Um Turn this down a little bit. There we go. Um, go back and read in the question. What do you think about its legacy? I, I mentioned this before, and I'll say it again. Um, there were a lot of people afterwards when the when his uh, retirement was announced who were saying things like, "Well, you know, he played the game. You know, he went in there and he didn't take a lot of damage, and he won a lot of fights. In fact, all the fights he had, 
and uh, he got paid, you know, relatively speaking, a lot of money. And uh, certainly, we're all glad about that. I don't, I don't think anyone is saying it's a bad thing that a guy fought a bunch of people, beat them all up, and made a ton of cash doing it, and is going to go on. And he, he's already got uh, the next chapter of his life set up and and ready to rock. And I interviewed him when his retirement fight was announced, and he told me like I never really got into MMA with any major goals in mind. Like I never set out to be a UFC champion of the world. I never set out to be. You know, I'm going to do X, I'm going to do Y. He just kind of thought to himself, I'm going to see how this goes. And so he saw how it went, and some of it he liked and some of it he didn't. But um, because he never set out something so specific in mind, I don't think he feels like he came up short in a way. But if you're asking me, and you are, to me this is pretty simple. I have no problem with the guy um, taking the best opportunities for him relative to his interests. But as I mentioned, it is not merely a great shame that um, he was exiled in some ways. But it leaves unresolved these major questions of what the competitive outcomes would have been. That's a loss. It's a loss for the sport. It just is. I don't know how else you can say anything about it. You're talking about a guy who has the most pins in NCAA history, who was an Olympian, who went undefeated, who beat really good guys when he had a chance to face really good guys. Maybe he would have lost to Johnny Hendricks back before Hendricks won on this one and five skid. Maybe St. Pierre would have beaten the brakes off of him. But the fact that we never got a chance to answer that question is insane. It's completely insane. It, 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 it cheats the sport. It cheats the consumer. Frankly, it cheats Askren. It cheats his opponent. If his opponent could have been put in a position to win, it's, it's, it, nobody wins. Nobody wins. I mean, if you have a petty grudge against Askren, I guess it wins. But you don't win, and I don't win, and Askren doesn't win. Um, it's, it's just terribly, terribly unfortunate. And I think both of those realities have to be acknowledged. Even if it's the UFC that goaded him into potentially signing with them and ultimately um, changed their tune, um, I understand that they deserve some blame for that. I'm not blaming Askren necessarily at all. I'm merely saying it is highly regrettable that this is the situation that we're in, even if I understand he wanted to go make some money for himself. Yeah, my phone or my computer is burning energy. This computer, not good. Let's see what we can get rid of. All right. Uh, UFC 218 stories you feel deserve more attention. It looks to be a great night of fights. Aldo versus Bless 2. Nganu's biggest test. Fight of the year candidate, Eddie versus Justin. What are you most excited about and why? Any of the storylines going to UFC 218 you feel deserve more attention? Someone goes, here's the potential, here's the card. Um, do you see any sleeper fights on the card? And what fight are you most personally looking forward to? So the card is as follows. Holloway versus Aldo 2. Overeem Nganu. Henry Cejudo versus Sergio Pettis is totally slipping through the cracks. Uh, Alvarez versus Gaethje. I mean, guaranteed barn burner. Tisha Torres, Michelle Waterson. Then you go to the Fox Sports preliminary portion of the card. Charles Oliveira versus Paul Felder. Huge, huge fight. One at lightweight. I cannot wait to see this contest. I love elite, dangerous strikers against elite, dangerous, like, quick submission grapplers as well, you know? Uh, Cowboy Alex Oliveira taking on Yancey Medeiros. That should just be a fun scrap. That'll be at welterweight, of course. David Tamer versus Dracar Close. Dracar Close doesn't get a lot of pub, but the dude 
farts well. Felice Herrig versus Courtney Casey. Courtney Casey coming off of that, you know, I don't know if it was an intent. It wasn't in, maybe it was, but that smear job that from the Texas Commission where she was flagged for um, alleged PED use when that wasn't the case at all. She has been by anybody with a reasonable degree of scientific understanding totally exonerated. And the Texas Commission has not apologized or retracted what they've done, which is, um, you know, so, and in any case, I've often found her game to be highly offensive against Felice Herrick, who's made dramatic improvements. Um, that one should be a lot of fun as well. Uh, he's back, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan against Sabah Homasi. Al-Hassan is an incredible athlete, needs to sort of tighten up some things, including his how he expends energy. But, boy, he's one to watch. Jamie Kimmel versus Dominic Reyes. I don't have a strong feeling about Justin Willis versus Alan Crowder. And then Amanda Cooper versus Angela Magana. Surprised she's still on the roster, but... We'll see how that one goes. Um, if you're asking me for storylines, I mentioned a couple before. The Courtney Casey fight opening up on Fox Sports 1 is highly interesting to me. S uh, Henry Cejudo versus Sergio Pettis, you know, very likely that person gets a title shot, which could complicate things for a potential Demetrius Johnson, TJ Dillashaw fight. So that's going to be one to watch and see what that person says. Um, Sergio Pettis has sort of quietly put together a really great resume. Um, if he can get a finish over a guy like Cejudo, that would be some, one of the sort of missing pieces there. You already know what time it is with Overeem and Nganu. Holloway versus Aldo. This is what I'm watching. Number one, this was kind of interesting, right? So if Aldo wins, I mean, are they going to do a third fight back-to-back? -back? I don't know that they would. And even if they did, if you're Frankie Edgar, you got to be wondering what the hell you got to do anymore with your life. Um, because if Aldo is the champion, there's no chance that Edgar gets a title shot. And even then, they might do a third fight back-to-back. -back. So then if you're a Frankie Edgar, time is running out for you in your career, especially for title implications. Um, you got to really step on the gas on this one. So he is probably like desperately hoping Max Holloway wins. And if Max Holloway wins, well, then the question becomes, what are you going to do if you're Jose Aldo? Because that means you fought the champion two times in a row back-to-back. -back. And if Holloway wins, and let's say he wins just as dominantly as he won the first one. And I know a lot of people are like, well, Aldo was winning the first one. I really don't believe that is an accurate reading. I mean, yes, you can say he had won the first round and uh, was winning the second round as well. You know, that's a little bit debatable. But to me, it was the frog in the pot. When you put the frog in the pot and you turn the boiling, you turn the, the heat on, at first the frog's not going to feel anything. But ultimately, its fate is already sealed. You know what's going to happen. It's going to get boiled alive, and that's exactly what happened. Holloway sort of lets you do things and makes reads on them and then adjusts over time. And so by the time the third round came around, he already had him dead to rights. And then it wasn't to me an accident that he won. But let's say that happens something like that again. Now where are you? You're you're at a place where with Aldo, you lost back-to-back -to, -back to the champion. What future do you have with that weight class anymore? Would that force him up to lightweight? Would that force him into retirement? What would it do? Huge, huge risk for Jose Aldo in getting this fight. If he wins, yes, it... Uh, it buys him a significant measure of redemption. Um, if he loses, it really puts some existential questions in front of him and then reopens the door to Frankie Edgar. So if you're Holloway, I actually feel like, you know, not that a loss is great. That wouldn't be terrible, but uh, he has time and ability to recover. Aldo, not much. And Frankie Edgar, if Aldo wins, even less. Um, very, very, very interesting storylines there for me. And you could probably pick out a million between Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje. If those guys win, are they going to fight Tony Ferguson? Are they going to get a shot at McGregor? Is that going to fight the winner? I mean, who's going to fight Habib and Barbosa winner? There's a million, million different ways you can go, you know. So this one is great. It's a crown jewel for sure of a very, very busy weekend.
Uh, UFC 218 excitement meter. Look, how excited are you for UFC 218? Ooh, so let's say a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your excitement for the main card, televised prelims, and fight pass portion? Main card, I'd put at an 8. Fight pass portion, I'd put at like a 6. Excuse me. Main card at 8. Televised prelims at a 6. And then fight pass at about like a 4. I don't have a tremendous amount of excitement for that. So it says Eddie versus Justin. Some questions about this fight. Do you think Eddie will bamboozle us all and talk of going to war? And America's most violent. He is certainly saying all the right things, but do you think he will instead be more uh, someone he wrote tactile? I think you mean tactical in the fight. Uh, yes. It's very, very possible he'll just wrestle like he did against Pettis, right? Something like that. But it's going to be hard to do that because the thing about Gaethje is Gaethje is like um, he's, a, he's a fan's like, best friend in terms of his style because he can wrestle too. You know, he's not some guy who's just willing to go out there and brawl with you. He can brawl and has got great defensive wrestling, which makes brawling uh, and and will just take big big risks and force guys into panic situations. You know. They cowl in me. How much of a factor do you think Gaethje's leg kicks will play? They were a big factor for Cerrone against Alvarez, but that was a bit of a different kind of fight. Um, they're always a factor. They're, they're a factor as much as any of his, of his uppercuts, uh, any of his bigger shots. Hard to say how dominant they'll be because you just don't really know what the fight's going to look like and what everyone's going to do. But certainly, uh, if you're Eddie Alvarez and you're not taking those into account, you're setting yourself up for failure. Is this fight your pick of fight of the night? If not, what is? I mean, we'll assess that afterwards. But if you're asking me, like, which one on paper has the most... Ability to deliver craziness. Yes, of course. Do you think it will be fight of the year? Could be. Um, who you got winning and how? I'll probably have Gaethje winning. I just feel like Eddie's... It's amazing. As much damage as Gaethje has taken, he's still got a little bit left in terms of resiliency. And I think Eddie is just a little bit more... Um, he's a little more senior in his career. He's been doing this a little bit longer. And... I just think has a little more wear and tear on him, which means you know he's more likely to his body to physically quit on him first. So, but he's got a big punch and he knows how to throw it, and that's what makes this exciting, right? So, but if I'm Eddie, I'm definitely trying to wrestle. I'm trying to slow Gaethje down for sure. Uh, let's see. Bellator heavyweight Grand Prix matchups. Rory challenging heavyweights. Did they get them right? If not, how would you match them up? Which fights are you looking forward to the most? And what do you think of Rory claiming he could step in? I love the idea of Rory stepping in. You know, if if, if UFC is going to go conventional and buttoned up, and I, I realize that Bellator can go the opposite direction, but to do some things that are a little bit more off the beaten path, I think is exactly the right way to go. I love the idea of the tournament. Again, it might end up sucking, but it, I, I at least appreciate what the promoter's trying to do here. I appreciate Rory saying, I can go and fight these guys if I don't have to cut a single bit of weight and I can just sort of like see, um, you know, my natural 200 pound-ish walking around what that offers me. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so Rampage Sonnen is not my favorite matchup, but let me go through these. Fedor versus Mir, I think is absolutely the right call. Right, you got the biggest name coming over from the UFC, 
uh, matching up against Fedor versus Mir is one of those fights you wanted to see back when heavyweight MMA was at its best. And you're seeing it at a much lesser version now, but still one worth um, one worth at least checking off the list, if that makes sense. And uh, Jesus Christ, man, my thing is burning through energy. Let me put this up on my phone because I have the world's worst computer. Um, so let's see. So Fedor versus Mir is the right one. Mitrion versus Nelson. I wouldn't have mind. I realize that they're friends, and I guess that's why they didn't do it. But I wouldn't have mind seeing King Mo versus Nelson, and then Mitrion versus Vader, or Mitrion versus Sonnen, because the size difference would be so fun. And then you could do Rampage Nelson, because Rampage Nelson feels like, I mean, you want to get someone who's just going to thug it out with him. That is the that's the fight to put together. So. I definitely feel like there's some permutations you could have done a little bit differently, but I do like on its own Mitrion versus Nelson. I do think it's important to get a Bader King Mo fight in, and Fedor versus Mir is the easiest call to make. So there's a couple of ones you could have done differently, but there's some other circumstances, whether it's friendships or some other kind of issue that is preventing that. All right, let's pull this up here. Let's pull it up. Let's go on to the next one. What was your reaction to Gastelum's destruction of Michael Bisping? We covered that extensively in the Monday Morning Analyst. Interesting one. Um, to pull this up. All right, let's see here. Sorry, y'all. I just want to make sure my computer dies on us. Um, let's see here. It seems to me that 218 is a card where the UFC has a clear preference on who they'd like to win. Look at the main card. I think the promotion would strongly prefer that Holloway, Nganu, Gaethje, Pettis, and Waterson win out. Max is younger, more promotable, and it's clear that Aldo is not a favorite son. Nganu is younger, built like a beast, and a fresh face in a super old division. Gaethje has a crazy fighting style and could be a fresh matchup for Connor someday if he can stay undefeated. Pettis is younger and would be a fresh matchup against DJ. Uh, yes. Watterson is clearly liked by the promotion she signed by WME, by the way. Do you agree with that quick analysis? 100%. Do you think the UFC has a clear preference in most main card fights, or is 218 somehow unique? I think that is true almost all the time, and I don't blame them for it, and I don't think you should either. Yes, it's in a, they're in a good position because no matter when, no matter who wins, it's their guy, right? It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm Gary Shaw. That's Don King. If Don King's guy wins, that's really bad for me. It's still both their guys, but not the same way. All right, let me close this screen just a little bit so I can turn that down. All right. Pretty great gear I have. Let's see. This way I can just read like this. Aldo's chances of getting the belt back. Luke, what chance do you give Aldo of defeating Holloway and getting his belt back this weekend? Are people right to expect him to get finished early again, or do you think he's got a better chance of winning than most people are giving him? Sub-question, is Aldo winning the belt perhaps the worst possible outcome as far as matchmaking is concerned? Holloway equals fresh matchups. Well, in the latter portion, quite clearly, yes. 
for the first one, look, I'm not going to make a super strong prediction about this because every time I feel like I have a strong prediction, it's like ends up going in the wrong direction. But I think here's what I would say. If past this prologue, I suspect that uh, Holloway will win again and probably within a similar time horizon. When you get rematch that happens very quickly, um, usually the person that wins the first time wins again. It's when the rematch is separated by a, a, a significant degree of time so that the challenger has gone back and, you know, really worked on their craft and they've beaten some other guys and things like that. You know, like there was a significant gap. I mean, if you go back and you watch the first Couture Liddell fight, Couture smashed him. And then the second one couldn't do anything to him. And it's usually the ones who win the second one that end up winning the third one um, if they go that far. But to me, they fought at UFC 212. They're fighting at UFC 218 in an era where you know they're pumping out these every month. It's just not a lot of time between. So to me, it's possible, certainly, that that kind of thing can happen. I just find it a little bit unlikely that that kind of... I just find it unlikely that he can make an... You're fighting a guy who's the king of making adjustments. How much can you transform your game to either delay or slow or stop that in the space between UFC 212 and UFC 218? Is it possible? Of course. You cannot count out a guy like Jose Aldo, first ballot Hall of Famer, right? But I think it's equally foolish to think that um, Holloway is going to be so easily tricked. You know, if you're excellent at making reads, boy, that's a tough guy. A tough guy to, to, to beat. Very, very tough. White's response to Ferguson's claims. Wasn't this insane? Recently, Ferguson made noise about wanting McGregor either to defend the title he won over a year ago or vacate. But White's response was to chastise Fergan, Ferguson excuse me, as this wasn't something that apparently concerned him. While it was a small thing, did you feel that did it that feel to you like a prime example of the apparent disconnect between the UFC execs and the fighters currently. I mean, if the interim champ can't make claims about the actual champion defending his title, who should? Let me see if I understand this correctly. The interim title holder should not have expectations about the title holder defending said title. That seems insane. I don't I mean, I what well else do you want me to say? I like that seems totally off the rails uh i don't get that one at all um why have an interim title if the interim title holder can't reasonably expect that the title holder i mean that's what that's what holding the title is about at least in theory in theory it's about i'm i claim dominant status in this division which i maintain by virtue of winning fights against the other ones who wish to claim a similar status that's what the whole architecture is built off of. And if you're going to have an interim title holder, he can't he, he can't think. I mean, he's holding a title whose sole purpose is designed to be temporary in an effort to relieve a situation and then resolve a conflict. And that he did the first part. So now you've got to do the second. I don't. I, I I don't know why he's saying that. I mean, I guess there might be part of me that's thinking, well, he's strictly addressing Tony Ferguson as a draw. You know, you're not a draw. You don't have the ability to make these claims over the rest of us. Maybe that's it. I honestly don't know. Other than that, it, it's it's utterly nonsensical. Other than that, it's 
it defies it defies logic and reason it defies any real coherent explanation uh other than it's some kind of power trip i i cannot fathom how he can possibly defend a statement as, as such as that it's it's extraordinary and totally out out to lunch he, in the words of dana cormier he's luncheon he's luncheon luncheon all right eli manning getting benched Luke, how do you feel about Giants quarterback Eli Manning getting benched for Geno Smith, no less? Is Giants management full of bigger donks than the Redskins management? Yeah, Giants with a J. They're the new Jets in New York. Very quickly about this, because actually there's an MMA tie-in. It's like, you're Eli Manning. You started for, what, 13 years, 14 years, something consecutively in New York. And 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 that means you didn't play not injured. You played injured, right? You, you didn't just get lucky for 14 years in a sport with a 100% injury rate. I mean, this is not possible. You played super banged up a bunch. You brought two rings um, to the organization when people maybe thought you couldn't have. You've been totally reliable. You have stayed out of trouble. He's not sending pictures of his genitalia to female reporters in the sidelines. He's not out there. And I, again, I don't have any issue with anybody who kneels, but... He's not out there kneeling. You know what I mean? Like he's doing everything he's supposed to do. And, yes, his play has dropped off. And I guess subbing him out makes sense. But to be subbed out for a guy who has sort of universally been audited and is terrible in Geno Smith, who has way more career interceptions than touchdowns. I don't think he has a single season where he has played where he had more touchdowns or even equal amount of touchdowns to interceptions. He's, it's always been the opposite. Um, he We saw what he did with the Jets. Absolutely terrible. And they've got this other kid who, Webb, who they could bring in. I mean, even if Smith does well, he's on a one-year deal, so he could just bounce. He's not going to do well. But even if he did, he could just bounce the year after. Uh, it is. It is. Here's my point. It does not matter what you do. It does not matter how successful you've been. When the end comes, m many, if not most people, will forget exactly what you've done why it matters, and you will go out of sports on your hands and knees. You consider somebody like St. Pierre who went out, handed the welterweight title back, took four years off, comes back, and now has the middleweight title. Man, if I'm St. Pierre, I mean, I thought he shouldn't have come back, and he got bet this fight, and so in that sense, I was wrong, and I have no problem admitting it. And so I'm hesitant to even say this, but there's a big part of me that's like, walk away, George walk away the longer you stick around them and, and i think he knows this you know if he goes and he has to fight whitaker and he gets smoked you know what i i'm not gonna say it ruins his legacy because that's not true but you know that's not the way you want to go out imagine if you walked out this way it just comes back one fight gets a big fat paycheck hands back the title twice otherwise you're going to get you're going to get proverbially per, excuse me proverbially proverbial proverbial jesus i can't say the word today this comes from proverb proverbially i guess that's the word jesus i can't say it you're gonna get metaphorically anyway uh benched for geno smith that is the future that awaits all of them and it is it is a sad sad day sad day i felt i felt legitimate heartfelt sorrow for eli manning he might be a mouth-breathing idiot but he's a loyal mouth-breathing idiot and he brought them two rings and that that is not nothing Uh, here, good question. Jonathan Snowden. This is a wrecked question. It's turned green. Hi, Luke. Do you know this guy on a personal level? Yes, I do. 
I check out his Twitter account every now and then, and he comes across like a right prick. Just wondering. Yeah, he is. But that's what makes him great. Uh, Jonathan Snowden is a true gem, I think, in MMA. And uh, we used to work together, and we had our own falling out. We just could not get along. And then later on, we both realized, I think, that I don't know what it was from his perspective, but certainly from mine, it was that I just didn't. Number one, I wasn't blameless. I had plenty of things to take blame for. And that two, you know, I just don't have, I don't have a lot of uh, energy for um, petty squabbles. And I just want to put it all behind. You know, if you've made mistakes and you just want to move on and the other person does too, you just sort of forget everything that happens. And we have, and I had him on my radio show during the Mayweather McGregor um, event, the media tour. He came by, I had him on my show. It was great. You know, look, he's a different guy. And, but here's the deal. He has unconstrained opinion. And a lot of people in MMA don't. I don't think I, I could even say I have unconstrained opinion. I might have strong opinion, but I don't have an unconstrained. And he does. And he he swings the axe. You need people like that. You do not want to follow people. And by the way, I agree with a lot of what he says. Sometimes I totally disagree, but okay, who cares? People disagree with me all the time. Big deal. It doesn't make them bad people. Um I disagree with Jonathan Snowden a lot. I agree with him a lot. Let's say it's even 50-50 where I agree, disagree. But you want people who are going to say things that might make you uncomfortable. You're going to want people to say things that are going to challenge the way you think about the world. He doesn't just say, I like, I dislike. He challenges a lot of preconceived notions. And, 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 and his Twitter feed is one of my favorites. And I don't even, you guys know how I feel about pro wrestling. I can't stand it. So I just sort of tune that part out from his and everyone else's feeds. Um, but if you're just looking at him like, oh, well, he's a negative guy, you are totally missing the value of why you need people like that. Sometimes he is dead on. He's a great writer. He does good features. And what we need to foster in MMA, MMA is so weird where everyone's like, we got to be tough. Who's the toughest? Who's the strongest? Who's the strongest? And everyone is so sensitive about words. I've really never kind of understood it. And I know I've advocated for, you know, yeah, maybe don't use anti-gay slurs in a corporate environment. It's probably not good down the line. And I know people have pushed back against that. But these are the same people who are mad at what Jonathan Snowden says. You know, who, who who's being weak and uh, deterred by language now? You should not be deterred by people like that. Um, number one, he's right a lot. And number two, okay, so he says things that make you uncomfortable. He says things you don't like. Good. Cherish things like that. Have him challenge your worldview. Have him say things that make you get to the core of what you believe, and maybe you ultimately still don't agree, but at least you have people reinforcing things. And there's a lot of groupthink out there, and there's a lot of people who tow company lines, and he ain't one of them. So you should cherish somebody like that, not not think, oh, well, he's negative a lot. So what? Maybe being negative a lot right now is totally called for. Maybe he doesn't want to coddle anybody. Maybe he doesn't want to say things to you that you, you, know, you want to hear. So what? Deal with it, you know? Um, can you ask Ariel to do a video about the new ATT facility like he did with the Jackson Wink Academy? I can ask him. I don't have any control over that, but I can ask him. Is there any indication that the UFC will get better gloves in the near future? I talked about this recently. How much can you bench? Uh, I am sub 400 on my bench. How about that? I think I'm going to be sub 400 for a while. Um, Man, I did bench. It's funny. I did bench yesterday. I have to warm up 30 minutes. I have to warm up 30 minutes to do 45 minutes of benching. My shoulder is just boned. 
I, I, everyone knows I got the surgery on this one. I did all the rehab I was supposed to do. I did it exactly right. I had a, one of the best surgeons in the area. I mean, nothing to complain about. And I can still bench um, as much as I want to in terms of frequency. But Jesus, man, it is it, it is laborious. It is laborious to get that thing going. Golly, take care of your shoulders. Do not flare your elbows, man. Keep those jokers close to your lats when you bench because otherwise you're going to be an idiot like me and, you know, you're up there doing warm-ups with, you know, cables. Not cable flies, but like not cables, but like the rubber band things. The bands to, uh, you know, 40 minutes of that just to get your – just so you can start actually lifting. I got to do three – at least at least three warm-up sets – after all the stretching and all the cardio I have to start the day, I mean, it's just a friggin' nightmare to bench. Uh, and then, you know, I, I can't even get into it. It's just, it's just god awful. Um, is there any indication that the UFC will get better gloves in the near future? Dana White was talking about four years ago how they were looking into it. And to my knowledge, there's been no real advancement in this. Do you guys recall Bjorn Rebney sometime around four ish, five ish years ago had a new Everlast? And they called it a power lock glove. Power lock was one word, capital P, capital L. Do you guys remember this? And the, the, the way it was supposed to work was it was supposed to be designed like this, that the glove, when you put it in your hand, naturally curved your fingers over so that you were almost making a C um, with your mitts. Now, you could spread them if you wanted to. And I think if you really wanted to, you could extend them. It just naturally puts you in this kind of a position. And what they claimed was that, one, it would reduce eye pokes. And that, number two, it naturally protected the hand better. Now, I don't know if there's any any data to support that claim. As you know, uh, shout-outs to Infinite Elge Intensity talking about the Jawser size. Have you guys seen this? There's an MMA fighter or, you know, a very unaccomplished one. And I have respect for everyone who gets in there until they turn into snake oil salesmen, alleged snake oil salesmen, where they're, it's this device where you can put it in your mouth and you chew and it's supposed to get your jaw muscles stronger to prevent, to like, uh, to help prevent, among a number of other things, knockouts, should you choose to compete in some kind of combative sport. It's like an insane thing. Um, in any case, where the hell am I going with this? Oh. Um, so there's a lot of people who have these fitness equipment that they put out and then they make these claims about it that are totally unsupported by any notion of real, um, study. So I don't know how real it was, but that was the last bit of any kind of attention that thing received because Scott Coker comes in, threw that out the window. Now it's back to the old strike force, red glove, blue glove, blue glove thing. So I don't know what's happening with that. Bjorn Rebney actually was the one who, at least on the surface, Appeared to push that issue the most. Um, boy, I don't know. If we're, are we going to make it? We'll make it to the end of this thing, but barely. Um, yeah, crazy, right? Are people riding off Aldo too quickly? I feel like Aldo has a real chance to take back his title, especially if he truly had a leg injury in the first fight with Max. Yeah, look, my hunch is that Max will probably win, but you're right. Um, it would be... This fight is intriguing because you absolutely have to take Aldo's chance at redemption seriously. Uh, if he is healthier now, that matters. If he's got some new wrinkle that he could develop in that time, I find that unlikely, but I absolutely cannot rule that out. Sure. Um, my hunch, and my hunch was that Rose was going to get smoked by Ioana, so take that for what it's worth, but my hunch is that that window is too narrow for a guy who can make too many, and, and or I should say not too many, who can make so many adjustments. But... Let's see. That could be a totally incorrect premise. Let's see. 
Let's see. True or false, GSP's next fight is at middleweight, if he fights true. Bisping's next fight isn't his last. No, that's definitely false. His next fight is for sure his last. Nate Diaz returns to the UFC before Conor McGregor. False. UFC 218 is far better in paper than UFC 219. True. Holloway beats Aldo. I think true. And Ganu beats Overeem. You think true, right? I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but my hunch is that's true. But Overeem's clever. You know, he's clever. With the TV deal reportedly not going according to plan, WME, IMG are regretting buying the UFC. They wouldn't admit it publicly. Let's see. East Coast friendly start times, this person writes. With the UFC seemingly losing leverage in the TV deal negotiations, do you see them conceding on start times so the cards are can be more East Coast friendly? Um, yeah, a couple things. Someone says they briefly flirted with 9 p.m. start times on uh, pay-per-view cards. That had The reason why they did that and then ultimately backed off of it was that um, it dramatically undercut their West Coast audience's ability to watch. Right, So you want to have a late enough start time so that's not too late for the East Coast, but not too early for the West Coast. And and they tried nine, and I guess they didn't like the results. So, I mean, I got 13% left on my battery and counting. So we'll see how this goes. Um, so that's why they ultimately abandoned it. So here's what I would say. Do I think they can start earlier? Maybe, but probably not. Probably not. What I think that they might be able to do is have shorter cards. Now, this is going to be, if they're going to stay on Fox Sports 1, I guess Fox Sports 1 is just committed to ruining the viewer experience for, you know, forever. I mean, they really just don't care how much it is torture to watch their cards. They are going to pack in as much ad inventory as they can in those things. We have all complained. They know we've complained. They know we hate it. They still don't care. So take that into consideration in terms of your viewing consumption habits. But... When they were on FX briefly, they did four fight main cards. And they would either start at 9 or 10, sometimes 9. And you'd be done by 11, 11.30. That's what I would like. I don't need 75,000 fights on a Saturday night. I just don't. Bellator, to me, gets that part right. They get four fights. If they got a big card, they'll put on five. If they've got a, you know some crazy 15-second knockout from the prelims, sure. They'll show it on the next card up, but they only schedule four fights. To me, that is absolutely the way to go. That is how it should be done. That is how it should look. That is how it should feel. If you've got something special, hey, pile them on. But if you don't, please don't waste our time. And I don't know that I'm going to be, you know, listened to very much, but you're asking me what my preference is. That's my preference. At least that's what I, I would hope that if they diversify how they hand out their content so that some of it goes on Fox Sports. Well, we're probably just screwed. But if they give some to ESPN, they give some to Turner, NBC, whoever, please, for the love of Jesus Christ, start, if you can, earlier. At it. Either way, I don't need six fights. Four, if, if it's normal. Five, if it's great.
Someone says, I'm driving eight hours to Midland today, and I'm pretty confident I'm going to go over my data for the month streaming the live chat. You're the man. Well, you're the man, number one. Number two, I go over my data limit every single day. I have a Verizon Unlimited, which is not unlimited. Apparently, you only get 15 gigs to stream, and then you're done. And you might say, well, Luke, who needs to stream 15 gigs worth of data each month? Uh, I do, uh, because I travel back and forth to New York so frequently the the internet on the train. Here's here's how my Thursday works. I get up at five or five thirty, right? I shower, um, I make a little food, I walk the dogs, I come back, I leave. I have to be at Union Station by about seven thirty ish. Then I get on a train at about eight eight ten. From there, I have a three and a half to four hour ride up to New York. The train on train's internet is garbage. I cannot rely upon it, so I have to tether. That includes uploading uh, um, videos and photos. That includes streaming, potentially. So there's a lot. Then I go and do my whole day. I go down from Penn Station to the Wall Street area where the Vox Media offices are. I do the beat. Then I go right back on the subway. I go back all the way up to um, 48th where the SiriusXM studios are. I do my show. Then I go back down. I'm on my phone. I'm answering emails the whole time. And then I have a four-hour ride home again once I get uh, back to Penn Station. So I have eight hours basically to spend on a train every Thursday and I'm streaming the whole time. D-Bag Verizon Wireless. Oh, you have the unlimited plan. Nope. Get to 15 gigs. All of a sudden they're going to throttle you. And then they'll say, well, we won't throttle you if you spend an extra $10 each month to not be throttled. Then you can truly have unlimited. Number one, I don't believe that. There must be some other threshold that they'll stop you at. And number two, is that not the, is, is that not the reason why everyone hates telecom companies? Not merely in this country, but all of them. It's they're, they're, they just don't know how to be customer friendly. It, it's just not possible to them. They, 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 it is not written into the fabric of how they do business. I, I cannot stand, I cannot stand them. Let's see. What else do we have? Do you follow any writers or content in Spanish? I follow a lot, actually. Rodrigo Del Campo is probably the one I, at Indiscutido is the one I follow the most. What do you think is the hardest part about learning the language? I'm trying to do it at age 38. Um, but yes, practice is really the big one. Let's see. None of these are green. Um... Luke, I've heard discussions recently on the podcast and the MMA beat regarding what's acceptable when it comes to trash talk. But one aspect that I haven't heard brought up is PED accusations. Two recent examples have been Cody Garbrandt's claims against Dillashaw and Derek Brunson's barbs on social media towards Bohashinia. Uh, where do you fall on this? Do you think this is a fair form of attack on character if the accused fighter has yet to fail a test? Well, first of all, I find it mostly a... like. So-and-so's on steroids, uh, or, you know, this guy's on steroids. Yeah, I don't care about the accusation at all, number one. Number two, I will say, there's a depending on your perspective, there's a positive and a, and a negative to it. On the one hand, if you really care about anti-doping, it is actually true that uh, colleagues browbeating each other and policing the ranks can have an effect on deterrence. 
it can actually help a little bit. Now, how much? We don't really know. As you know, USADA likes to say, hey, we talk to the fighters. We hear great things. They never really provide any data at all about how much deterrence that they're responsible for. And I realize that that data is hard to come by, but I don't know any other organization that claims to have such a basis in science and yet be unable to produce any real data that shows they're having any measurable effect. Finding less adverse analytical findings does not tell you why you're finding less adverse analytical findings. So I always find that a hilarious contradiction of their organization. But the other part is um, that kind of thing presumably can offer some measure of deterrence. On the other hand, the more everyone tosses it around, the less impactful it becomes. So a bit of a double-edged sword there. Uh, it is past 2.15. Let's see how much battery life I've got left. Nah, not a lot. Let's go to the Twitter machine, see what we can dig up here. I'm at L Thomas News on Twitter. And you can use the ha uh, hashtag chat wrappers, and I will read your lovely, lovely questions. All right, let's see. What do we have? Um, bom, bada, bom, bom. All right. Ooh, here we go. Um, with the end of the year approaching, what is your 2017 fight fighter and card of the year this time? F fighter? I don't know. Um, card of the year, probably 217. And for fight, I still don't know. I don't know. There's been some stand-up performers, but like sustained greatness, not as much. Uh, favorite healthy go-to snack, uh, banana and a little bit of peanut butter. But you have to measure the peanut butter, not get too much. Favorite sweets, got to be Reese's Pieces, also peanut butter. Um, let's see. Why will the UFC not book Ryan Hall? I have talked to him about this. I don't think he knows either. Is it like Kamaru Usman, not ranked, but way too dangerous for a ranked guy to take the chance? I know some guys he wants to fight. My understanding is he's asked for him. I don't know. I really don't know. It's a it's one of life's great mysteries. The guy won the Ultimate Fighter. Like, what are we doing here? Um, who would you pick to fight Bisping in his final fight? I wouldn't want to risk a contender, so I'd maybe go with somebody like Marquardt. What say you? Assuming you could do it, assuming you could do it, uh, the Vitor fight makes the most sense to me. Um, you could do Marquardt as well, I suppose, but that doesn't have nearly the same flair. Letting him go out against Vitor, I feel like, number one, Vitor's still dangerous in the first three minutes. And number two, uh, it would give, there's rivalry there, and it would be an interesting buildup. I don't know if Vitor would want something like that or if he can even take it, uh, given uh, his schedule, but that is sort of like, I mean, the Romero fight at this point, I mean, if he hadn't, okay, here's what I would say. If he hadn't taken that gas in the fight and gotten starched, I would say the Romero fight would be fine, but like, you know, January, February, March, you're going to fight in March. And it's already, you know, we're going to be in December here in like a couple of days. I just, it just feels gratuitous to me, to be perfectly honest. True or false, Eric Spicely submits Mearshart at the tough finale. I'll say true. Um, let's see. Why the F is Nganu a 3-1 to one favorite? Shouldn't Alistair be a favorite considering his past opponents have been much higher quality? Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of hype behind Nganu. They're making like, um, 
you know, like contender specials about him on YouTube. The UFC is. I think there's a lot of hope and hype uh, around him. So, and I also think that look, Alistair is way more clever as a striker, but the raw brutality of what a guy like Ngannou can do at a weight class, where raw brutality is much more easily uh, rewarded. It, I think it gives people a lot of reason to think that he he's going to win. But, you know, if you have skepticism about that, I can understand it. Believe me. Thoughts on Matt Mitrione's claim at the MMA Hour that anyone who tests positive for PDs after a fight should be charged with attempted murder. Uh, I like Matt a lot. I saw him in an airport a couple of events ago. We had a nice little chat, but no, I certainly do not agree. Uh, as Mayhem Miller is in trouble with the law again, thoughts on his career. Also, could we see him in KSW Horizon fighting at Light Heavyweight in 2018? I certainly hope not unless he has really found proper medical help for um, all that ails him, to be quite honest. Um, man, I remember Miller had such promise for a time. You know, this guy, he, when, I remember when he fought St. Pierre, and although they, you know, it was... Every, look, everyone bags on Joe Rogan for saying, "Oh, you know, he's got you know jujitsu light years ahead of Saint Pierre," and then he gets Molly Waft. But the truth is, you got to remember something about Jason Miller, man. This was a guy who was writing columns in Tap Out Magazine, who had a great rep. He was training with Rampage at the time, and um, you know he could fight in a lot of different weight classes, and he was talented and you know focused. I don't know, but his quirkiness and his unconventional worldview was really a charming asset you know um and, and my understanding is as long as he had you know he was really taking his medical issues seriously and on a regimen that addressed them um you know he's a lovable guy uh it's when that goes out the window that everything else goes out the window with it um but he had some great wins he was a guy who you know yes he fought in the ufc but he had a lot of you know he made a lot of noise outside of the ufc as well you know, he's one of those throwback fighters in that sense. And he, like as I mentioned before, he was a guy who was willing to fight across multiple weight classes if given the opportunity, and um, and was tough as nails. And I just feel like, you know, going against Bisping in the way he kind of just his career just didn't go well in that second UFC chapter he had, and and after that everything kind of spiraled. He did have some moments, certainly against Sakuraba and Dream, but he was a guy who was. How do I explain it? Like, what's a guy? Who's a guy out there now who's just like quirky and unconventional and interesting and smart and funny and weird and maybe dislikable to some, but that was kind of who he was. And then, of course, you know, he could pull it together and he was hosting Bully Beatdown. You really thought that, man, this was a guy who was writing columns in Tap Out Magazine. This was a guy who could do great interviews. This was a guy who, when he needed to, could win big fights. Remember, he almost subbed out Jake Shields, right? I mean, that's not easy to do. Um, and and then can host a TV show. You really thought this was a guy who was going to go on and do big things. And then, you know, it just all fell apart. With the end of the year approaching, what is, oh yeah. Um, let's see. What hype train do you see being derailed next? Oof. Let me see how much juice we got. Not much. Um, Hype train being derailed. Well, a bunch of them I thought were going to get derailed already did. Um, 
Boy, that's a great question. Huh. What hype train do you see being derailed next? <sighs> Who is like super hyped? Now, I have been super high on Zabit Megaman Sharapov, but I don't know that there's like a hype train behind him. It's more just a few of us raising our hands being like, hey, this guy's really good, but there's not, I don't know, there's like a concerted uh, effort to, you know, UFC's like, we're going to get behind this guy and promote him. You know, I think, I think Sage had a bit of a bubble popping, but when he had his last fight, I think he showed that he can rise above that and make some, some gains. And uh, I was, I was, you know, I was like legitimately proud of the guy. Um, we'll see what Paige Van Zant can do. My sense is that she's, Probably topped out, but I guess we'll have to see. Um, beyond that, I don't really know. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. There's got to be somebody out there who everyone's hyping up. Um, but most of the time, if you guys know me, this is the one area where I can be reasonably accused. Well, not one area, but this is definitely an area where I agree. People are like, oh, you're a hater, Luke. Yeah, I'm a hater when it comes to this. People hype prospects way too often in MMA, and way too often they end up being like... you. I say this all the time. When I, if I see a guy who has five first round knockouts, everyone's like, "Oh my God, this guy's amazing! Holy s, he's the next coming of Jesus!" Ah, da, 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 da. He can turn water into wine. He raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. If you see a guy who's got five first round finishes, that tells you two things, right? Number one, they can obviously bang it out, no doubt about it. They can they they put hands on you. Problems happen. The other thing you can reasonably ascertain especially if they come, you know, it's five five wins on the regional circuit, right? And then they come over to MMA. If they weren't fighting guys tough enough to really get an accurate sense of who they are, it is not, it is almost, inver- it is, I, I'm willing to bet my entire career on the notion that um, they just didn't fight enough tough guys. That doesn't mean they won't beat tough guys after that, but here's the thing you always need to remember. You can never trust how hyped a pro, you can never trust how good a prospect is until you've seen them put through the ringers in a number of different dimensions. Um, and you've seen a full display of their game over different circumstances, different types of challenges, different kinds of fighters. How did their guard look? What does their cardio look like? Can they pass on top? How do they you know, grip up in the clinch? Do they keep their hands up on the clinch break? Um, how do they deal to with an antagonistic opponent? How do they deal with a re- with a retreating opponent? How do they deal in the big cage? How do they deal in the small cage? Um, can they get up off the bottom? How's their jab look? How's their defense look off the jab? I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. The reason why I'm high on Zabit Megamedsharipov is yes, he has a loss early on his record, and I think he was one of these guys who was really really good and um, you know needed some world class trainers to bring about the best that he has to offer. But for me, it was you can see the full breadth of his game when he competes. He shows it to you. Or not the full breadth, but a pretty wide swath of it. You know, and to go out there and beat first of all, I know some people don't know who Shaman Morais is. He's extremely good. And for Zebit Magomed Sharapov to go out there and just kneel and belly this guy three rounds and use that to pass, use that to set up uh attacking the forearm, use that to set up attacking the near arm, use that to set up taking mount. You had to set up taking the back. I mean, it's insane what this guy that is. An, that is a level of, you know, not merely positional awareness, but that is a level of, um, you know, developmental maturity that tells you he can do a lot. He can do a lot. So I know that the flashy thing is, oh my God, this person's got, you know, 
wow, five fights, five first-round knockouts. They're just not fighting. If they come from the regional scene, they're obviously talented. They're not fighting enough tough guys. That's just the reality. True or false, if Angela Magano loses, she will be cut from the UFC. I don't know. Kaylin Kern got six losses. Has she been cut? I mean, I guess she will be at this point. I can't. I used to be able to predict stuff like that. You had all three losses in a row. There they go. And then they don't go. So I don't know. Hard to really say. Uh, favorite pride card. Favorite pride card would easily be pride body blow. Now, there's better ones than that. But for me, this one holds a very special place. This was pride body blow. This was 2003. Uh, let's see. Pride 25. This took place at the Yokohama Arena in Japan. This was when Fedor beat Noguera when no one thought that was possible. He wrote the blueprint on how to beat Noguera. Quentin Jackson defeated Kevin Randleman at seven minutes of the first round because remember the rounds were different. And you want to talk about an unbelievable takedown defense from Rampage. Vicious ground and pound without elbows. Incredible. Uh, Elvis Shembri. Defeating Sakuraba was sort of one of the famous wins of not only his career, but one of the famous upsets at the time in Pride history. Uh, Dan Henderson, just ragdolling Shungo Oyama. Uh, Anderson Silva icing Carlos Newton. I mean, you have to see the face Carlos Newton makes after Silva hits him with a knee. It's just ridiculous. Um, he was big for them at the time. Alexander Atsuka defeating Kenichi Yamamoto. I don't care about that. Akira Shoji defeating Alex Stiebling. Not a great fight, but you understand who Alex Steeling was. This guy labeled a Brazilian killer, and I, I think you know the Japanese are not the Brazilians, but I think they took pride in watching him lose. And then Rogério Nogueira uh, submitting via armbar Nakamura. That, that was at the time that the uh, the Nogueira brothers were working together, and they were in cards a lot together, and they were doing a lot of amazing amazing things in tandem. That card was just one of the best cards I'd ever. I just loved everything about it. Um, but you know, your mileage may vary. Let's see if we got one more in here. And then we'll call it a day. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Um, you know what? Oh, why can't? Uh, why do you think the UFC will do about CM Punk? They can't get him winnable fights without tarnishing the brand. But if they cut him, he likely does good ratings for Bellator. I actually don't think so. Uh, look, I don't think he should have ever been signed, but they signed him. If you're going to sign him, you can't keep him on ice. This guy needs to be getting some fights. So they're going to give him a fight. Okay, they're going to give him a fight. Um, unless they give him somebody that is just, I'm sorry, not even close to UFC level, he'll probably get smoked. At that point, uh, he can go to Bellator. I have, and I, if I'm speaking, let's say, as a UFC exec, I have a lot less concerns of, of him being some major ratings draw if he's lost two times in a row like that. So that's my response to that. Okay, I appreciate you guys tuning in. We made it. My battery didn't die. Came close, 8%. Um, like this video, give it a thumbs up, uh, subscribe to MMA fighting. Again, the t-shirt link is below in the description box. You can check that out there. That's obviously going to help me a lot if you can, uh, and you get a t-shirt out of it. So there you go. Um, stay tuned. The whole crew is in Detroit. We're going to have a ton of coverage for UFC 218 and there's an MMA beat tomorrow. A ton of stuff coming your way here on MMA fighting. Don't go anywhere. And until next time, let me pull this up. Here we are. Stay frosty.